Good morning and happy Mother's Day. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all of the moms, the wannabe moms, the grandmoms, everyone who has a mom. Uh, I think I got everyone covered there. Uh, so uh, good morning. Uh, ladies, I just want you to know that we deeply appreciate you. Uh, you are made in the image of God, and so therefore you have just an estimable worth. And so that's why today at the end of our worship gathering, we are going to take just some time to honor you. Uh, because if, if we're honest, moms, you probably need a day every day to be honored. I mean, your, your job is hard. The way you just take care of kids and often run household. Some of you, you do the household and the job. I mean, you guys are amazing. And so that's why today we just want to take a little bit of time to honor you. So if you're over the age of 18 and female, we want to give you a gift where I'm going to talk more about that at, uh, towards the end of our worship gathering. But please just make sure that you don't take off without picking that up because we do. We just want to say a very simple thank you at the end of our time together. Well, speaking of time, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 starts off with this verse. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. If you are familiar with the 1965 song by the birds called Turn, 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 you know this passage from Ecclesiastes. They took their words right out of the Bible. Uh, some of the lyrics are, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. You know what? There's something about that that just seems to ring true, isn't there? It's something about it that just, it does seem like there's just a time for everything. But have you ever experienced something that just seems to fall outside of the right time? That, that, that's a little jarring. It, it, it kind of surprises you. Uh, last week, I was talking with someone at the end of our worship gathering, and he was talking about going home to his garden and harvesting some asparagus. And, and it just kind of shook me like, wait, 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 I'm an Iowa boy. You're, you're supposed to talk about harvesting like in the summer or in the fall. Like here it was the first weekend of May, and he's already talking about harvesting something from his garden. And I'm thinking, how is that possible after the horrible April we had? You know, it, it just didn't seem like the right time. You, you've experienced this before. I mean, if you go to a funeral for someone who's 90 years old, it, it just feels like that's the right time. They've lived a long, good life. And so, yeah, we're honoring them. But if it's the funeral for a nine-month-old, it just feels wrong. My very first funeral to ever officiate was for a four-month-old. It was painful because that's not the time for a funeral. No, 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 no. This kid should have lived 90 years. That's the time. When something seems to happen outside of the right time, it just feels wrong. The Apostle Paul today in Romans chapter 13 is going to basically say, right now is not the time to do certain things. Instead, it's a different time. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to hear, it's not time to do these things. Instead, it's time to do this. Because Paul knows if you engage in these other things, you're doing them at the wrong time, and you're going to experience spiritual friction. I think all of us want to not experience spiritual friction. We want to experience spiritual harmony. But if we're going to have that kind of congruence in our lives, it means we have to recognize the time that we're in and thus live accordingly. So as we get ready to jump into the Romans 13, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, this morning is yours. Lord, your scripture says that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
And so, God, I pray right now for everyone who's come in here, whether it's a mom who's excited about the day because she's going to be honored, or a mom who's dreading today because it reminds them of a loss, for anyone who's lost a mom in the last couple of years, and anyone who wishes they could be a mom and, and infertility issues struggle. Some of us in here, we've, we've had a rough week. Things did not go well at work. Things were not going smoothly at home. There, there's just some things going on internally in us. And Father, today we're going to be confronted by your timeless word. And you're going to be calling us to not engage in certain things. Father, when we hit times of discomfort, we want to run into these other things to find some sort of relief. And yet today you're going to confront that. Because you say it's not time to engage in those things. Instead, it's time to follow you. So, Father, I pray right now that you'd help every single heart, every single mind to tune into you, what you want to say through your Holy Spirit, and that you accomplish what you want to in our lives. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible with you today, open it up to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Last week, we had a riveting discussion about the government. I don't know of anyone who actually thinks that's a great topic to enjoy, especially at church. Uh, I actually was a little uncomfortable at moments, mostly because I had to sit there and read from the scriptures that says, you are supposed to submit to the government, no matter who's in authority, you know, who's in the highest office in your government, whether that's a Trump or, or a uh, uh, Obama or a Nero or a Hitler. Like, whoever's in that top position, you still need to submit if you are a Jesus follower. And so that kind of get un uncomfortable. What do you do when things get uncomfortable? I, I know a lot of us, we, we try to flee. We try to escape. Like, if we find ourselves in a really uncomfortable conversation, we just find ourselves, like, wanting to get out of it. We want to run. We want to get away. Or, or if you're in a job that's just really, really, really uncomfortable, we, we find ourselves wanting to quit the job. Or, or, you know, you find yourself in, in some really uncomfortable situation in, in just in life, and you find yourself wanting to escape, maybe through a substance, maybe through a hobby. You know, you, you run to something to try and relieve the pressure. Well, last week, as we were looking at this idea of government, we had to take a moment and just pause and see what was happening in the Roman government at the time that Paul wrote this letter to the, the church in Rome. And what he pointed out was that the government was nasty, cruel, led by Nero. Nero was this megalomaniac who basically hated Christians. We, we saw last week that he torched Rome. 70% of Rome burned it down to the ground. All because he wanted to build himself a nice big palace. But it would kind of look bad for the emperor to burn down his own city. And so he blamed the Christians. And so Christians began to get mocked. They began to be um, uh, tortured, persecuted. I mean, he fed them to lions. He turned them into human torches, lit them on fire. I mean, this guy was awful. And so personally, I would not blame the Christians living in Rome for trying to find some sort of way to escape. Because if you and I were living in that kind of an environment, underneath that stress, we would be looking for some way out. And, and so we would probably start we'd probably start, you know, trying to find some other avenue out. And I think Paul sensed that. And that's why he wrote these words. Romans 13, start in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. 
For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You ever stop to think about how powerful culture is? Uh, let, let me give you an example. Right now, if we were to go and turn up the heat in the, in, here in Drosty Hall, let's say we got it up to like 88 degrees. You guys would start sweating. You, you'd suddenly turn the handouts into, you know, it wouldn't just be for information. It'd be turned into a fan. You know, you, you'd probably start, you know, taking your shirt and trying to, you know, dab the sweat that's dripping down. Some of you, you'd probably start thinking, oh, I got to escape. I, I, I just got to get out of here. It's too hot. But I could guarantee that not a single guy in this room would strip off his shirt. However, if it was July and it was 88 degrees outside and we were two blocks that direction over at the Waverly Pool, the guys wouldn't even hesitate to rip off their shirt because it's culturally acceptable for a man to take off his shirt at a pool. It's not acceptable for him to do it in church, thankfully. This is what Paul's getting at. That there are certain things that it's the time for that, but it's not appropriate at another time. And he starts pointing out here that it's not time to do something. And that's our first point today. It is not time to sleep. It is not time to sleep. A few weeks ago, I woke at 4 a.m. and my bladder was screaming at me. And so I stumbled out of bed in the dark and made my way into the bathroom. I made Mr. Bladder happy. And then because it's 4 a.m., it's dark and I'm tired, I crawl back into bed. Which, you know what? I could not get to sleep. I mean, it's dark. It's 4 a.m. I mean, that's the time for sleep. And yet, I, I just couldn't. Now, imagine that instead of 4 a.m., it's 4 p.m., and you and I are at Duo's Coffee. And I've had three hot teas, and now Mr. Bladder is screaming at me yet again. And so I walk down the hallway. I make Mr. Bladder happy. And when I come back, I tell you, I'm just a little tired and so I proceed to lay down on the couch right there at Duo's at 4 p.m. and start to go to sleep. And I think you would look at me and think, like, what is up? This is weird. Like, if I was an eight-month-old, it's adorable. But because I'm 45, this is just really, really strange. All right? 4 a.m. in my bed, appropriate. 4 p.m. at Duo's on the couch, yeah, probably not quite as appropriate. I think that's some of what Paul is getting at here. He's saying... It's not time to sleep because, as he says here, it's daytime. Notice right in the middle of verse, uh, notice verse 12, the beginning part. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Now, he's not talking actual physical day and night here. He's using a metaphor to talk about some spiritual realities. And in the mind of Paul, when Jesus rose again from the dead, it was now daytime. And daytime will only be here for a while. So because the sun is coming up, it's not time to sleep. So don't lay down on the couch at duos. Get up and live your life. Because if you sleep, you're oblivious to what is going on around you. He's saying you need to wake up. And so to continue with his idea of this light and dark, he says there in verse 12, to cast off the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? 
He, he tells us in verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Paul is writing this letter, many scholars believe, in 56 AD from the city of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a pretty well-known city for living out works of darkness. Uh, Paul, being in the city, would have seen all these things happening. And I think because he, he witnesses these things, it's on his mind. And so he addresses it to the Romans, like, hey, don't live like this. And what he does is very Pauline. He, he makes these duples. He tells us six things, and he makes these three pairs. So I want us to look at these three duplets. The first duplet there is orgies and drunkenness. In your notes, I've changed it to, um, uh, to carousing and drunkenness. Because here in the ESV, they have the word orgy. However, the Greek word there is kumois. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. But here is the definition that I discovered on this word. A nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who, after supper, parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity, and sing and play before houses of male and female friends. Hence, used generally of feasts and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. In other words, a party. Right? These guys are partying. So that's why I feel like the, the better word is carousing. And besides, most uh, translations use the word carousing here. Because some people feel like at night, that's the time to party it up. This is the time to carouse. Have you ever gone to lunch with a coworker? If you did, they probably didn't order a beer or wine. Or if they did, they'd limit it themselves to one. But if you go and you have supper with them after work... They'd probably order a beer or a wine or two or three or four because that's the appropriate time in the eyes of our culture to indulge in many beverages. Because, hey, we want to enjoy life. At least that's the mindset. And so, hey, we can enjoy multiple beverages at this time of day. What I've been discovering is that a lot of people who enjoy this party atmosphere and include a lot of drinking into their life, they want you to believe it's so that they can party and really enjoy life. But actually what they're trying to do is numb the pain of life. You see, life is incredibly painful. And like we said earlier, when we get uncomfortable, we often look for some sort of escape. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. These, Ro these uh, Christians living in Rome are discovering all this pain of living underneath the rule of Nero. And they're looking for escape. And he's saying now is not the time. And one thing that people use are drugs. They will use these, these drugs, this alcohol, to try to, to bring some sort of numbness, to, to eliminate the pain that's in their life. And he's saying, now is not the time. There's something better. If you don't believe me, just see what some of your friends, your coworkers, your family members do. Maybe this is what you do when life starts getting hard. When the job gets really difficult, that's when they're more likely to crack open a bottle. That when a relationship ends, that's when they tend to spend more time at the bars. That, that when the baggage from their past comes back, that's when they start to light up the joint. Or, or when their sports team loses, that's when they just start mowing through a 24-pack. In the midst of the pain, we want to numb it. We want an escape. Because what we all have longing deep within us is this desire for heaven. And when we're not experiencing it, when it actually feels more like hell, 
we will go to these drastic measures just to try to get rid of it, just so we can experience some little bit of heaven. And for many of us, we try to fool ourselves with drinking. We ingest some sort of substance trying to help us numb the pain of life. And Paul was saying, hey, if you're a Jesus follower, you are not to be under the control of alcohol or some other drug. You are to be in control by Jesus. Because Paul knows now is not the time for this. There's something better. The party of heaven is going to come. But until then, I want you to experience this. But before he gets there, we need to look at the second duplet. The second duplet that he has there is sexual immorality and sensuality. Sexual immorality and sensuality. You know, for some people, their drug of choice to numb the pain in life is, as we were just talking about, drugs and alcohol. Sometimes when you engage in carousing, you end up with these, you know, sexual activities taking place. But for some people, that is actually their drug of choice. It isn't a result of doing the first duplet. It, this just is their choice. You have Paul, living in the city of Corinth, at the time he writes this letter, saw this happening all the time. Uh, Corinth was this strategic city. It was a heavily traded city. A lot of people passed through it because of its location. And that meant all these cultures were coming, bringing their different ideas of what was right and wrong. And what ended up resulting was Corinth had very loose sexual mores. And so many people are bringing this in, and they also brought their religion. And some of the religions, some of these cults, they actually would build temples where they had cult prostitutes. And so Paul is living in a place where it was so easy for someone to try to numb the pain of life through sexual pleasure. But I think if Paul was writing this today, it wouldn't be temple prostitutes that was on his mind. It would probably be pornography. Online pornography is usually, is, not usually, is often the drug of choice for multiple people. And it's not just a guy problem. Every year in January, for the last, I have no idea how many years, but a few, uh, the world's largest porn website releases statistics about the use of their site. These statistics to me are mind-blowing, especially when you consider that it is just one website. In 2017, this one website experienced 28.5 billion visits. 28.5 billion. That equates to 1,000 visits per second, or 78.1 million visits per day. Just this one website. This viewing, these 28.5 billion visits, ends up being 92 billion videos being watched. 92 billion. That is 12.5 videos for every person on the planet. Of those videos, 4.5 billion hours of video were watched. 4.5 billion that's 5,246 centuries, all just last year, 2017, on one website. And probably most disturbing of all to me, I really hesitated to share this, but I talked to my wife and she felt like I, I should. They also released their search terms, what people are searching for. The biggest movers in 2017, the ones that climbed the, the charts the most, were the words stepmom, mom, and stepsister. And we wonder why we have a Me Too movement within America. When you have 20 and a half billion visits, people cannot view women. 
as being made in the image of God. They are not seeing them for the worth and value that they have. Instead, they're being treated like a commodity, something to be seen, used, and discarded, so you can then pick up another body to be seen, used, and discarded. It isn't about valuing them as humans made in the image of God. It is about what we can get from them to numb the pain that I'm feeling within. Now, I realize that there are many people within our culture, so that means there could be some in our room or people listening to the podcast who are listening to this saying, Aaron, you, you're going too far. It's no big deal. I mean, if an adult wants to spend their time watching consenting adults engaging in this activity, it's not a problem. But it is. There's been research that's shown that regular use of online pornography actually begins to change the chemical makeup of the brain. Did you know that if, a married, uh, if someone who's married begins to use online pornography on a regular basis, the chances of an affair go up 300%? I could start talking about the devastating effects upon dating relationships that porn has brought. We could talk about how the porn industry actually fuels the sex trafficking industry. Or we could even just talk about the effects that porn has upon those who are within the industry itself. It's not just some harmless fun, as much as they try to tell you it is. It's devastating. It is wrecking lives. And Paul is saying, it's not worth it. Now is not the time. He's saying, don't engage in sexual immorality. But then he uses this other word, sensuality. I, I went and looked it up, and this really means just an extreme lust. Sometimes I think that goes beyond just sex, and it actually could go to food. It could go to entertainment. It could go to a hobby. What is it that you just have this unwholesome longing for? That, that when life gets really, really tough, what is it that you are running to? I think that's what he's getting at. What is it that we're seeking to make us feel better? Is it drunkenness and crowsing? Is it sexual immorality? And sensuality? Or is it our third duplet? Quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling and jealousy. As I was studying this this week, this, this one just seemed a little odd to me. The, the first two I, I understood, whether it because of my own struggles or because of, you know, friends and, and people I've interacted with. But I'm personally not prone to quarrel. I, I really don't like arguing with people. And, and also, I just, I just tend not to struggle with a lot of jealousy toward, for, for what other people have, wishing that it was, it was mine. I guess that's more envy. But, but it's just not something I really struggle with. And so this one didn't make sense. And, and so I really had to stop and think about it. And then I realized we see these two things happening in social media all the time. All the time. Jealousy. How many of us spend time on Pinterest or Instagram scrolling through and the things we see? We're like, oh, I want that. Oh, I wish I had that. Oh, I wish I had what she had. I'm very active on Twitter, and I see quarrels all the time. All the time. Even among Christians, it's embarrassing how much fighting there is going on on Twitter among people who are supposedly united because of Jesus. We tend to do this far more than we realize, including me. Why is it? That sometimes we, we, we're prone to quarrel. Why is it we give in to jealousy? Why, why do we get caught up in this drama? 
Have you ever known someone who just always seems to have some sort of drama going on in their life? Like, no matter what's happening, there, there's always something happening, whether because someone broke up with them, or, you know, so-and-so is doing this, or that, you know, they're supposed to get the inheritance, and they didn't get the inheritance. Like, there's always drama happening. And if, if they don't have that drama, then they go and create it. They've got to argue with you about who's the best candidate to be elected, or who should have won Best Picture last year, or who should be dating who in the movie, you know, star scene. Like, they're always arguing and, and, and complaining about things. Why? What is it about it that draws us into that? Well, as I thought about it, I wondered if it isn't a distraction. Because it's easier sometimes, I think, to argue about these frivolous things of life and always be flitting from one thing to the other, to quarrel about it, to be jealous here. And when you're so wrapped up in that, you can't stop and really think about the important things. Like, what happens after you die? Is life really more than just falling in love and making money? Is there really a God? And so you can get caught up in quarreling and jealousy and ignore the important things. And Paul was saying, it's not time for this. It's not time. This is not the appropriate time. So put away your quarreling and jealousy. Put away your sexual immorality and sensuality. Put away your carousing and your drunkenness. Now is not the time. I just feel like I should pause and ask you, what is it that you struggle with? What is it that you run to? When, when life starts getting really hard, when things start getting really, really uncomfortable, what is it that you use to try to escape? Is it one of these three duplets? Is it something else? Because I think what Paul wants us to do is to not run to that. He wants us to run to Jesus. Imagine with me, a young couple is, the wife is in labor, they're having their first child, and the husband's at her side. However, rather than holding her hand, coaching her, telling her, I'm with you, this is going to be awesome at the end, what's he doing? He's looking at his phone. He's just scrolling through his phone. Like, he's nervous. He, he's scared. And so what's he do to cope? He, he surfs his phone. He's playing Candy Crush. Like, we look at that and go, no, you are missing out. I think that's what Paul is trying to say. Put away your personal drug. Put away your phone. Put away your bottle. Put away the porn. Put it away because there's something better. And that better is Jesus. That brings us to the second point. Our second point today is that it is time to wake up. It is time to wake up. Paul says this right here in the first verse of our section today. In verse 11, he says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why, why is he saying you need to wake up, to become alert? Because of this. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Have any of you uh, ever engaged in like a long distance run uh, or maybe hiked a, a high mountain? And, okay, yes, I see a few hands. If you've ever done something like that, you know, say, let's just go with a marathon. You're running a marathon and I like it about mile 20, your legs start screaming, that's enough. All right? I, yeah, I'm, I'm through. I'm done. It's time to quit. And your lungs are saying, yeah, I agree with the legs. The, we got to quit. We're, we're done. All right, stop. And yet you don't. 
Why? Because in your head, you're thinking, I've already conquered 20 miles. Like, I've only got six more to go. Do you realize the insanity of what you just said to yourself? Like, normal people do not say, oh, it's only six miles. No, if I've got to go six miles, I'm getting in my car. You know, but you think, you know what? I've only got six miles to go because six miles compared to 20 is nothing. I've already done this. I can see the end. The end is in sight. And because I can see the end, I'm going to keep going. So you tell your legs, too bad. You tell your lungs to shut up and you keep running. You keep hiking. You keep climbing because you see the end. That's what Paul is saying. We can see our salvation. That when you put your life in Christ, you need to realize that your life is a mist. It is a breath. That in light of eternity, your 60, 70, 80, 90 years is nothing. The end is coming. It's just around the corner. So why in the world would you fool around with the phone and fall asleep to the life that God is calling you to live? Put it away. That's not the time for that right now. The time is to wake up and to follow Jesus. And Paul wants us to get that because salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's just around the corner. With every passing breath, with every passing second, you are that much closer to heaven if you follow Christ. And so what does Paul want us to do because the time is so near? He wants us to wake up. Why? Verse 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that phrase, to put on Jesus. Any of you ever gone to a restaurant where you ate so much food that when they brought you the dessert menu, like it just sounded disgusting or, or even worse, the, the waitress brings the tray with all of the sample foods on it. And like, if you're that stuffed, you have like this visceral reaction, like, oh no, oh please. Now, if she had brought it to you before the meal, you'd be going, ooh, let, let's, ooh, that cake looks good. Ooh, a big cookie with a big dollop of ice cream on it. Oh, I might be doing that. Oh, that one looks really good too. But now you've eaten your whole entire entree. You are so stuffed. You cannot imagine putting another bite in your mouth. That's what Paul wants for you. He wants you to be so full of Jesus that these other things that would normally be appealing suddenly just like, oh, I couldn't. It loses its appeal because you are so full of Jesus. That's what he's saying there then at the end of that verse. He says to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That tells me that what many of us do, I, I'm guilty of this, what we do is we focus on fighting our sin. Whether it's giving in to drunkenness, sexual immorality, to, to movies, to food, to you know, our hobbies, whatever it might be, that we gravitate toward that. And then we start thinking, no, 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 I'm doing this too much. This isn't right. This isn't good. I, I need to put this away. So we start trying to stop it. But what we do is we get so focused on it. Paul's saying, no, there's a better way. Don't spend all of your time, energy, mental faculties fighting that. Just put on Jesus. Be filled with Jesus. As you take on Jesus, you will get so full of the Holy Spirit, this stuff won't even be appealing any longer. And you will make no provision trying to gratify the flesh. And so today, I do not want you walking out of here saying, that's it. I'm just going to quit using the phone. I, I'm going to you know, shut this down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get all of that stuff out of my house. Okay, great. D do that if you need to. But don't just focus on it. Replace it with Jesus. 
Maybe you're saying, how? How do I do that? You know, some pretty simple things. How, how do you connect most with God? For some of you, it's, it's nature. And so find ways to get outside. Just start walking and praying to God. Thank him for the birds, for the sky, the trees. Just find these ways to connect with him. Get into the scriptures. Some of you, you're readers. So, so read the Bible. Some of you, you do better listening. So listen to the Bible being read to you. Find these avenues to connect with God. Some of you, it's worship music. And so find the artists, the musicians that are going to sing gospel-centered lyrics that are going to remind you daily of who Jesus is, what he did. Fill yourself with Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you may make no provision in trying to gratify the flesh. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to, another way to, that we can connect with God is in prayer. And so I'm going to invite Linnell to come up and play, and we're just going to spend some time in prayer. If, before we do that, I just want to say, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know I am so glad that you came and visited Riverwood Church. We actually started this church for you. For you, though, what I want for you most of all is to not walk out of here saying, okay, that's it. I just got to stop doing these things that are, you know, the sin that so easily entangles me. Instead, I want you to find Jesus. I want you to realize that Jesus went to a cross to die for your sins so that that sin could be forgiven. And now he invites you to put him on, that his righteousness would become your righteousness so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus, which has forgiven you of everything you've ever done and everything you will do. And so as we go into a time of prayer, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm just going to invite you to make your prayer this. That God, I confess that I am a sinner I've been living for myself. I've been indulging in this. And you now call me to you. And so Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I'm going to give my life to follow you. I invite you to begin your journey of following Christ. But I also realize that many of you here, you made that sort of a decision long ago. And yet you still find yourself struggling with sin. It just keeps creeping up. I just want to invite you today to confess that to him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just, I'm just going to give us about 30, 60 seconds to just pray and confess. And after that, I'm going to lead us into another section. But, but first, I want you to confess point blank to God. Don't just do this generalities. Like confess specifically, God, I have been worshiping this instead of you. And name it by name. So let's just take 30, 60 seconds to pray. And now that you've confessed that sin to God, I want you to realize that Jesus died on the cross so that that sin that you just confessed, it is forgiven. So would you just take a moment to thank God, to thank Jesus for forgiving you of that sin.
now that you have thanked God for the forgiveness of your sin, I invite you to pray a prayer of commitment to confess that you cannot do this on your own, but that God has given you, if you follow Jesus, the scriptures tell us that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with his spirit. And so therefore, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. And so would you just take a moment to thank God for that and, and ask him to give you the power and the strength to overcome that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy moment. I thank you, Father, for creating this space, not just this physical space, but this space and time for us to come before you and to confess these things. God, we confess we've turned to these other things of this world, making them like our God instead of you. But we thank you that we are forgiven. And that's why, Father, because Jesus, you gave your life for us, we commit ourselves to following you. We can't do it on our own. And so we say thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so, God, I just pray right now that you would actually, hmm, you would actually create a moment in this next week or two where we are going to be tempted to run back to this other thing. And in that moment, we will be reminded of this moment now. And we will sense you calling us to trust you and to follow you. Help us, Father, in that moment of weakness to realize that you are strong, that we are free. We do not have to give in to this. And that there is more delight found in Jesus than in this other thing. Because if we give in, it's going to fade. But Jesus, you are eternal. So God, I pray that you would allow that moment to happen. Give us the strength in that moment to to trust you, to turn to you, to rely on you. And when we come through that moment, we realize that you have given us a way of escape out of that temptation. You were with us all along. And we could rejoice in that moment, not because of what we were able to accomplish in, the, in that moment, because of what you did. So Holy Spirit, I want to see my church family following you, making you the most important thing in their life. But we can't if we keep living like it's night. Instead, help us to live like it's day. To live as if Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. And we can now live awake lives. Because there's other people who are asleep. They are oblivious to what you have done. And we want them to see you for who you are. So Father, I pray that you would help us to run away from these other things and to run into your arms and that you would accomplish something great in our lives. Thank you, God, so much for your grace, for your forgiveness. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for who you are and what you've done.